This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ein, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavori, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavori. A number of people have contacted me the past few weeks and have made comments that I would like to uh, note today. One of them is that when I quoted a tshuva from a certain person at a certain time at a certain place, it should be understood by all that that tshuva can apply only to that time and that place. This, of course, is not considered a halachic uh, shiur, in the respect that I do not mean to paskan a halacha at all. When I quote a tshuva, I just mention what the postlake said in that generation. Sometimes I add comments. For example, I pointed out a few weeks ago that Rav Breish in Switzerland permitted a person to listen to the radio if it was set before Shabbos, on Shabbos, when the person was suffering from a nervous disorder. He also uh, said that inherently it would be mutter to listen to the radio when it was set up this way, even if a person were not ill. But, of course, he did not encourage doing it. He just said technically it would be permitted. Perhaps I should have mentioned, as was pointed to me by one of my dear friends who was a regular listener, to, who said to me that I should have emphasized this only applies to Switzerland and does not apply to Israel today, where the situation, of course, is different because we have Jews who work within the company of the radio and uh, on the programming of the radio, and therefore the issue would be a different issue completely. Last week when we discussed Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, we should also point out that Rabbi Moshe was asked questions from all over the world. So when he did relate to a question that from Eretz Yisrael, he was referring to the Psaq in Eretz Yisrael. But when he discussed issues of America, so it would not be obvious and certainly is not would not be clear whether he meant for the same Psaq always to apply to, er, to, er, to uh, Eretz Yisrael or other countries at, at that time. We did point this out when we discussed the question of Chal of Yisrael, but it should be emphasized in all the areas as well. Last week we discussed the chuvas, uh, some of the chuvas of Moshe Feinstein. Since his chuvas are so well known, and many of the chuvas that we have discussed in the past were also addressed by Reb Moshe. For example, uh, obviously uh, many questions of, 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 about Mechitza, about Erevin, about Mechalei um, Shabbos, taking Tefillin into hospitals, which we discussed in terms of uh, different other poskim, Reb Moshe dealt with the same issues. Because of the wealth of chuvos of Reb Moshe, and honestly because when I was younger, I studied a lot of the chuvos of Reb Moshe Feinstein. In fact, I assume that was the first uh, series of chuvos that I owned and I really tried to study. I'd like to discuss today uh, more chuvos of Reb Moshe, and this will depart from our uh, previous order that every week we dealt, dealt with a different posek. But we will deal, deal today with some of the fam- more famous chuvas of Reb Moshe and also some of the more interesting ones that I, I feel could be brought to a larger public. Uh, 
One of the issues that was important in America in 1948 and there on was a question about shaving in days when the, uh, it, let's put it, it was halachically problematic to shave. So in a tshuva, in the first volume of Arachayim, where Moshe has a tshuva about shaving on Cholamoid, Bimdinaseinu. And here is a good example of where he wrote Bimdinaseinu. In our, in our country, where, where Moshe was living at the time in, in 1948 in, in America, the question was written to, uh, to a friend who asked him whether you were allowed to shave in Cholmoid. Interestingly enough, the date of the tshuva is the day after Sukkot. So it seems that, at least for that year, either Reb Moshe answered orally and then wrote down the tshuva, or the, the answer was delayed until after Sukkot. Reb Moshe's psak basically, and I think this is a fairly well-known psak, the Reb Moshe said in the, in the introduction to the tshuva, very much in the beginning, Reb Moshe said, for those people that find it important to shave on Cholamoid, we can find the heter in our time, in our, in our country. Because he said, look, we do shave every day. The original reason in the Mishnah that a person would only be allowed to shave on Cholamoid with special permission under unusual circumstances was because we wanted to make sure that a person prepared himself before Yom Tov and took all necessarily all necessary haircuts or shaves before before Yantif. A person might think, well, I'm busy, Arav Yantif, so I could wait till Cholamoid. In order to make sure people did not do this, so they instituted a, a takana, a din, that you cannot shave on on, on Cholamoid. But today, Rabbi Moshe said, we do shave every day. And therefore, the reason of the original Takana would not apply. And therefore, he felt, if necessary, you can, you can be making on such a question. Since it's also very well known that everybody shaves every day, so it's not a problem for a person to shave on Cholamoid. Nobody will even think that he didn't shave before Yantif. He goes on to raise some of the issues that might be involved. Some people might think that that it's not just the takana that you're not allowed to shave, but it's a me'ikar adin. Basically, melacha is asr and chalamoid. Exactly which melachas are asr and chalamoid, what's the nature of the isr of chalamoid, is a problem by itself. Some Rishonim think that the the isurim of chalamoid are the rabbanan, some are think that the Isurim are based in the category of Misarana Katuvla Chachamim. They are basically Daraisa, but, the, but the, the Torah gave the Chacham permission to decide what would be considered a Melacha and what would not be considered a Melacha. Here Rabbi Moshe thought that since the idea is to make yourself look nice for, the, for, the, for Yantif, at least for the second part of Yantif, or it's real Yantif, or even for Chalamoid, so Moshe says he doesn't think there's an Isra Malach at all. He thinks it's only a Gezeira. He does discuss the Rishonim involved, but he, his decision at the end is that he doesn't feel there's a, a, really, a real Isra Malach in, in shaving. And then he says, the, something that's Tzorech Yipui, something that's done for a beautification to make a person look nicer for Yantif, that's not Isra Malach. And then he, he says, you might argue according to some Rishonim, that shaving at all is not considered a melacha. Shaving is not considered a melacha which, which involves any, any great effort. 
you know, obviously it's mutter and chalamoid, let's say, to turn on, to turn on lights. Why wouldn't that be included in Isa Malacha? Because it's not, and Beltirchad, it's not considered a Malacha. So, for the purpose of chalamoid. So he argued that it might be that Gilua Chazakan, shaving, is not considered a Malacha at all. Even if it is considered a Malacha, it might be considered a Malacha for the Tzorah and therefore it would be mutter. And therefore, the bottom line is, as Moshe said, there is no problem at all. But he does quote the Noda Behuda, that From the Noda Behuda it says that you you don't have to shave every day, and therefore it's an Isra Malacha, because, because it's not considered Tzorah So, Rav Moshe disagreed. He said, if the entire country, the average idea of the people is that they want people to be clean-shaven, which means to shave every day or or every two days. So he said, then the svara of the Nodabiyuda doesn't apply. And it does change from time to place according to the understanding of people in that, in that place. And then he said, even though there are some Rishonim that might think there's an Isa Malacha Do'araisa in Shaving on Chalamoid, Reb Moshe says the Vreim Tzarech Iyun Shalanachan Klal. He disagreed totally. He said, "I their opinion is very difficult to understand. I, it's incorrect." Therefore, Reb Moshe summarizes and says clearly: in our country, in our time, that people shave daily. Even if a person would only shave once or uh, every two days or every three days, he would be he would say there's no Isra at all in Khalamoid and perhaps the No Dabihuda himself would admit today under today's circumstances that a person would be allowed to shave. Despite all this, Rabbi Moshe summarizes as he very often does, I would only allow people to shave when they feel either a great need or it really bothers them. A person does not like to be have a growth of two, three days. If a person just wants to rely on my tshuva, who says Reb Moshe, only because he wants to look nicer, fine. You you, you cannot uh, at all admonish him in any way, because according to the basic din, it's mutter. In the yeshiva world, of course, they many, many people did not accept the heter of Reb Moshe, but it's not that they went against Reb Moshe, because Reb Moshe said, if you don't feel a need, then he really would not encourage you to, to shave. A different approach, <coughs> it seems to me, was taken by Rav Salavechik. I don't know if this is printed any place, but orally it was transmitted, and I heard it from Rav Salavechik himself as well as from students of his, that he felt it would, not, it's not only is it proper, is not only is it permitted to shave on, on Cholamoid, but indeed it is proper to do so, especially on Erev Yantif, because the Rav felt, since the original idea was that a person should be careful to come into Yantif in a state of looking nice without uh, being in a state that could be called in a type of nivel, uh, the type of uh, abasement, disgrace, that a person doesn't look nice. He looks like, a, well, I don't want to use the phrase to look like a bum, but he hasn't shaved for a few days. So if a person does not shave on on, on so in America, where after your two days Yantif, your, your four days Cholamoyed, you come in with a five-day, six-day growth of seven days, I don't know how many days it is, of before Yantif, and you really don't look so nice. So I heard that the Rav said, not only is it permitted to shave, but it's proper, and a person really should shave before Cholamoyed. And I think the Rav was even upset if people did not accept his psak and did not shave before uh, the second days of Yantif. The Chazonish, it was told to me also, I don't know if it's printed, maybe it is, but the Chazonish reportedly said that 
you should not shave on Cholamoid, and it is beautiful to look as if you have a five-day growth, because that is what beauty is. Beauty is to listen to the words of the Torah, to listen to the words of the Chachamim, and therefore that is considered Yofi. Rabbi Moshe, in his tshuva, Rabbi Moshe said, no, this would depend upon the people of the time and the place. Uh, and I will quote, Im kol adamim Moshe said, no, it doesn't depend upon objectively what the halacha thinks. It's a question what is considered beauty in the eyes of people, what consider, people consider uh, proper. So we've seen that Rav Moshe Feinstein's tshuva permits shaving in Cholamoid, but does not tell you you should shave in Cholamoid, whereas the Chazonish thought to the best of my knowledge, that you should not shave it on Cholamoid, and Rav Salvechik said, indeed, you should shave on specifically for Yantif. Again, let me remind you that the Chazonish, of course, was talking about life in Eretz Yisrael at that time. Rav Salvechik was talking about life in America at that time, but uh, presumably he would have said the same for Eretz Yisrael. Rav Moshe Feinstein uh, mentioned a number of times in, in the Tshuva, Bim Dinaseinu Bizman in our time, in our place. One of the tshuvas that uh, I think was a little revolutionary of Ramosha and many people in in um, America relied on on that tshuva was a tshuva that was written about Mechiras Chametz. In many communities, I think today the situation, especially in New York, is completely different. But in, in many communities, they used to have a uh, local supermarkets where all the goods were sold and people used to buy in supermarkets. Many of these supermarkets were owned by Jews. The halachic uh, question of who owns the market when it's a, a corporation, a company, or it's owned by stockbrokers, by stock uh, owners of stock, uh, is a different question that also Rav Moshe discusses in a different tshuva. But let's assume the supermarket is owned by a Jew. This created problems for the people who lived in that community because they had to buy, after Pesach, they wanted to buy chametz. When Pesach is over, you have to stock up on all your chametz, and there was no chametz available except in these supermarkets. And these supermarkets were owned by Jews, so it's chametz, it's chametz that a Jew owned in Pesach, and it's also, you're not allowed to to buy that chametz, you're not allowed to use that chametz. So what was the solution that many people found? I think, especially people in far-flung communities, where many times there were even uh, small groups of Orthodox Jews, but very often there was a, a local rabbi or perhaps a Lubavitcher who lived in the community, we used to go to the supermarket and try to convince the person to sell his chametz to them, to actually, not to sell it to them, but to empower them to sell their chametz to a non-Jew. And the owner of the supermarket was told that you're selling your chametz to a non-Jew, you don't lose any money from it because... Uh, he'll pay you the value of the way they uh, arranged the Shtar Mechiras Chametz. In fact, in the uh, Lubavitcher way, there's a Chumrah that you have to have an Arev, you have to have a cosigner, a little more complicated. But nevertheless, they explain to the store owner that it's perfectly legal, but you won't lose anything. As a matter of fact, you'll gain. Because after Chametz, after Pesach, people will buy your Chametz. And the store, storekeepers were happy. They signed on the, on the Shtar Mechira. They hung it in the store, and now the Jews who lived in the community, the Orthodox Jews, felt they could go after Pesach, buy the chametz, because it wasn't chametz of our love. Pesach, it wasn't owned by the Jew, it was owned by the non-Jew who bought the chametz. 
The problem, of course, arose that many of these storekeepers did not observe the letter of the law. They did not observe the idea at all. And they didn't close off their shelves of chametz like we do today in the uh, stores that are run by Orthodox Jews, where we either they don't have chametz or they close off the shelves, but in uh, that you can't even get to the shelves because you can't buy the chametz. The chametz they don't even own the chametz; they sold it. But here, the storekeepers kept the shelves open, and people could buy the chametz. So the question was: Is it permitted to buy chametz from them after Pesach? They didn't really observe the idea of selling chametz to a non-Jew, they sold that chametz to, a, to, to any customer who would walk in during, during Pesach. If it really belonged to the Jew, the non-Jew, they were not allowed to sell it. Rabbi Moshe, in a very short tshuva, said, of course, there's no halachic problem. He said, because the, the non-Jew did sign a valid shtar mechira, and the shtar mechira is legally binding, if he would not sell his chametz on Pesach, let's say the unsold chametz that remains of a Pesach, the, non, the Jewish owner is happy that he didn't sell it. He, he, Rav Moshe assumes he wouldn't want to transgress an Avera for no reason at all. So he's he would he would not completely annul the Mechira. He would want the Mechira to be valid. The only thing is, he wants to make profit by selling the chametz on Pesach. That is obviously wrong of him. And Rav Moshe says, what he is doing, in effect, is stealing from the non-Jew. The non-Jew owns the chametz. So this person is stealing from a non-Jew. And really, the non-Jew has a claim to him, and they could have a, a court case one against the other, which would not affect the basic law for the Jew who wants to buy chametz from this person after Pesach. As I said, this tshuva is rather uh, remarkable kula. In uh, the cities today where the real Jewish communities are built and established and they have Jewish stores, so this question does not really apply. But in the communities where there are only major supermarkets, there's no Jewish market at all, this is a very important shuva that Rabbi Moshe wrote, interestingly enough, in 1957 on Yom Atzmaut. The shuva is dated, Hey Iyar Tavshin Yudzai. One of the shuvas that I'd like to mention today discusses a halachic point that's almost not an issue. But the fact is that Rav Moshe was asked about it and you see the tzitkis of Rav Moshe in this, in this and many other areas. In the first volume of Chuvas of Igros Moshe of Arachayim, Rav Moshe wrote to a fellow whom he addresses as Yedidi Yerei Shemayim Rav Moshe Metzger. This person when you read the Tshuva of Reb Moshe, you sense what this person had done. He had written a letter to Reb Moshe Feinstein in which he felt, felt that he fulfilled the mitzvah of tochecha, of rebuke, of reprimand, because he wrote to Reb Moshe and said basically that Reb Moshe transgressed the law by traveling from his home to the yeshiva, to Mesifta Tiferes Yerushalayim, after Lichbenshin. Uh, I did mention, I'm not exactly sure how I phrased it, but I mentioned last week that Ramosha obviously was the Rosh Hashiva of Tiferes Yushalayim. One of the listeners wrote to me and commented that Ramosha did not found the yeshiva. It's obviously that the yeshiva became known through the name of Ramosha Feinstein and the yeshiva automatically is associated with Ramosha, but he did not, he was not the founder of the yeshiva. Okay. The, um, 
where Moshe did travel from his home on Grand Street to the yeshiva, which is a few minute car ride, and he did travel after the time of Adaka Saneros. So this fellow wrote him a letter that it's wrong, and uh, we don't have the exact letter the fellow wrote, but it does seem to be that uh, he wrote to Ramosha in such a way that telling Ramosha that A, Ramosha did wrong, and secondly, he hopes that Ramosha doesn't take umbrage at him for fulfilling the mitzvah of Tochecha. Ramosha wrote, Chas v'shalom, that I should be upset that you fulfilled the mitzvah of Tochecha according to your understanding. And because of your letter, Belineder, I will never do it again. But there is no hint of any Isur, there's no Maras Ayin at all. Because Maras Ayin is only something that some people will think is permitted, some people will think is 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 forbid, forbidden, you do it in a way that people won't know how you did it, what you did it. But something that everybody in the world knows is permitted, even though perhaps some people could make a mistake and think it's wrong, that's not considered Maras Ayin. Now, it's true that women are supposed to light candles 18 minutes before the time, or perhaps Moshe mentions 20 minutes before the time. And men have a custom of accepting Tosefa Shabbos in a shorter time than the 20 minutes. Moshe said this is well known by everybody. Certainly women know it, and certainly men know it. That you can, you can continue doing Melacha, even Lechatchila, unless you're Mechabal Shabbos. And he mentions in this specific case what time it was, what time he was in the car, and there was still time not only to, before Shabbos, there was time to fulfill the mitzvah of Tosefa Shabbos. If indeed some people make a mistake someplace and think, I don't think that's true, because it, I don't think it would be Marasayan, because the Rova, Ruba de Rov, most of the people know that it's Mutter. But, since you think that there is a zilzal, he wrote to the person who wrote him, I will, again, he reiterated, Belineder, I will never do this again, and I want to give you a bracha for the mitzvah of Tochecha that you feel fulfilled according to your understanding. I, I think this is an example of a tshuva in a respect, in a halacha that really did not need any elaboration. But nevertheless, I chose this tshuva because it does reflect upon the personality of Rav Moshe, that Sitkas of Rav Moshe. In the same vein, I'd like to point out another tshuva that appeared in the fourth volume of Arachayim, where Rav Moshe was, wrote a letter to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. In that tshuva, it seems from the, from the tshuva that, which is addressed in 1940, to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, saying that I understand, what Moshe says, I understand that the Rav Kvod Kedushas Gaona, he addresses him with the common titles for a great Hasidic Rebbe, Hadrat Hod Kvod Kedushat Gaona, asked why Reb Moshe doesn't put on the film of Rebbe Nutam. Now it's known in Lubavitch that they took Rebbe Nutam the idea of putting a Rabbin Thomas film very seriously, I think almost every single Lubavitcher would put on film Rabbin Tam, 
And it, to them, apparently, it was a little shocking that a gadol like Reb Moshe would not put on film Rabbeinu Tam. Reb Moshe answered, when I lived in Luban, when he was the rabbi in Luban, obviously many years before that, he did have tefillin Rabbeinu Tam, which were what he called Mehudar. And I used to put them on. But I made a Tanai Belineder. And many years I put on tefillin when I found the tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam in a, a, a nice set, a Mehudar set of Rabbeinu Tam. But those tefillin became... Uh, well used, and Rav Moshe felt he had to put them in Geniza. And therefore, he did not have Tefillin Rabbeinu Tam, which were Mehudar, according to his specifications. And he felt at the time, it was difficult to get a Sofer to fulfill all the Hiduim that Rav Moshe wanted for Tefillin Rabbeinu Tam. And then he goes on to explain. There's a distinction between the Tefillin of Rashi and Tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam. Tefillin of Rashi are an absolute obligation. And Rav Moshe goes on to discuss in the Tshuva that essentially we paskin like Rashi. The Psak is clear. Rashi's Tefillin are the correct halachic Tefillin for Klal Yisrael. That's what we make a bracha on. That's the Tefillin that we use. And therefore, Rabbeinu Tam's Shita was basically rejected. However, there are communities, as I said, the Lubavitcher community, which are very meticulous about putting on Rabbeinu Tam's film. So Rav Moshe felt, in order to not be removed from such a community, it would be appropriate to put on as a chumrah, Rabbeinu Tam's film. But since it's not an absolute obligation, he felt that that chumrah would need only be observed when you had tefillin muhudarim. Since it was difficult for him for him to get tefillin mudarim, Moshe did not put on tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam. The very end of the tshuva, Moshe said, it was told to me in the name of the Lubavitcher Rebbe that there's a special, specially good sofer, what he called a sofer mufak, that is willing to come to Reb Moshe and to write tefillin for him exactly the way he specifies it. And he does mention very briefly some of the specifications that he wants for the tefillin. And therefore he said, if it's he has a, a good handwriting and he'll fulfill all my specifications, I'd be very happy if he put on, if he would write tefillin for me, and I would be very happy to put them on. Um, Rav Moshe Feinstein's uh, grandson by marriage, mentioned to me that indeed this is what occurred. The sofer did come to the house of Rav Moshe and they did write the tefillin and Rav Moshe then put on Rabbi Tam's tefillin as he used to do when he had tefillin mudarim in early early years. Another famous tshuva of Rav Moshe that related to a specific incident in America was written in the volume of Chut of Igras Moshe, Evan Ezer. And the question there was raised about songs and tunes that were written by a fine person, what Rav Moshe, the, in Hebrew the phrase would be Sha'asa Adam Kasher, but Acharzman Nitkalkel. Somehow later on, he went off what we would call the, the derech in a certain respect. And the question was, could you play them at weddings? The question was asked, are you allowed to listen to the music or play the music that such a person wrote before 
the the uh, rumor of his uh, going somewhat off uh, the the derech took place. The songs that he wrote when he was known as an Adam Kasher, could you sing those songs at a wedding? And Ramosha in the Tshuva, which was written in 1959. For those people who remember the history of America, the history of Jewish music in 1959, it's interesting to wonder about what Ramosha or who Ramosha was referring to. But the question was asked, since many B'nai Torah did listen to them, are you allowed to play the music? And Ramosha's answer was, I don't understand any problem at all. The time that he was a uh, Ben Torah, the time before he went off the derech, I don't understand the problem at all. And he mentions a source from the Gemara. Reb Yochanan Kohen Gadol uh, is quoted, even though he later on in his life became a, a Tztuki. So the original Takanas he made will exist. So, and not only do they exist, they're called on his name. We mentioned his name in connection with these Takanas. So you see that obviously there's nothing wrong with what a person did before he went off this derech. Moshe says, the, uh, when I say he went off the derech, what was, that, what were they referring to? Who? Here. He sings before uh, men and women together and uh, without going to the details, they felt that this was improper. Then Ramosha said, you know, even though you asked me about the songs that were written after, before he went off this derech, I am not convinced that you cannot sing or listen to the music that he wrote even afterwards. After all, they are kosher nigunim. They don't have anything wrong with them. So, he said, the idea of having the name of a Russia on something would only be if you wrote a Sefer Torah or something that's Kodesh, then it would not be appropriate to call something Kodesh in the name of a person who's a Russia. But here, these are only songs. There's nothing Kodesh about them. For example, he said, let's say a, a, a new medicine or a new car type of vehicle would be done by a person who is uh, not on the derech. Would you think there's any reason that you can't mention that he did this? It's only a davar shebekedusha, an inyane kedusha, that it wouldn't be proper to have it up because his name mentioned. So therefore, the songs which are considered in Yanechol, they don't have Kedusha, even though the words that they sing them to and the occasion might be a, a holy occasion, but nevertheless, the Nigunim itself are, are permitted. Then Ramosha goes on to say, let's be honest, what are we talking about? We're not talking about Kfira at all. Nobody's ta- raised the issue that the person in question is a Kofir. They just said that there's a certain level of Kalus Rosh that to have the boys and girls uh, sing together, whatever went on there. He said, uh, he's certainly not considered a min, he's not considered a pikeris, he's not considered a mumar, and therefore, according to strict din, you can listen to the nigunim of such a person even after he be- went off what you think is the is the papadarech. 
Rabbi Moshe said the songs that he sang, that he sang before, certainly there's no reason at all for anyone in the world to think there's anything wrong with him. The song that he wrote afterwards, if a person wants to be machmir, there Rabbi Moshe said, you know, I, I, I could understand if you feel uncomfortable, but the, the, the question that you asked about the chuvas, about the songs that he wrote before, that's certainly permitted without any question. There's no reason to be machmir at all. The later ones, if you fail, like Ramosha said, according to Din, it's mutter. If you want to be machmir, Ramosha said he felt, that you, you know, you could do it.